Hello. That's it. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I was just mixing it up a little bit there. Just got to keep you all on your toes a little. I've got Darcy with me. DJ Sarah on the ones and twos. I've got Darcy with me in, you know. Hello, hello. In living color over on her side. How how are things going over there? Good. Uh, I am just watching some basketball it's march madness season. oh yeah yeah my favorite time of the year auburn's not in the in the postseason this year but that is okay we love them anyway yeah, yeah. i'm not a basketball fan <laughs> i could really i know you're crazy i really care less about basketball this is my favorite time like, of the year i can handle any other sport but i think basketball to me just is so boring i can't do i don't do professional basketball college basketball is a completely different I love college basketball. Cannot do NBA. Don't care for it. Well, I mean, maybe there's just the passion is gone by the time they get to the, I don't know. I'm just not a fan. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the design of the NBA game or I don't really know, but it just is a lot less, a lot more boring than college basketball. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, Fewer surprises. Um, so I've got an interesting little, tidbit I want to share before we jump in. So Doris and I, as we um, started looking at what topics we want to do for the month of March, decided that we were going to do a little bit of a tribute, kind of like we did last month for Black History Month. We were going to do a little bit of a tribute to Women's History Month and celebrate some Mm -hmm. powerful, amazing, incredible um, history-making women across the world, around the world, who have contributed to women's rights and what we think of women and and just are amazing women. And so today we're going to do one of those episodes. But before we jump in, I found this article and immediately I was like, oh no, college library shut down after discovery of venomous Mediterranean recluse spiders. I'm sorry? No, what? (laughs) Burn it down! No, where is the this? University of Michigan shut down its library after venomous? Okay, that's very far away. After venomous spiders were found in the building's basement, university officials discovered a trio of Mediterranean recluse spiders in the building, as well as remote areas on other parts of the campus located in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mediterranean recluse. Shapiro spiders? Library was shut down on Sunday. This was a few weeks ago, and Monday, so the library and the university could address the spiders. As the name implies, they are reclusive and bites are extremely rare, associate professors say in a statement. This one woman who made a statement helped identify the spiders. These particular... Uh-uh. She had them in her lab and they got out. Right? Know. Mediterranean mm-hmm. recluse mm-hmm. spiders prefer basement spaces, tunnels, and other hideaways where there is a decrease in foot traffic. Users browsing the library stacks would be very unlikely to encounter a stray spider or be bitten. University officials have since called the temporary library closure a mistake after students and faculty were unable to use the building for two days. A misunderstanding of the situation led the library to close for two days, university spokespeople said. Based on what we know now, library managers agree that it was a mistake to close the building and they apologize for the inconvenience to the university community. Despite the misunderstanding, the library is still treating for spiders out of an abundance of caution. Absolutely. Students not. and faculty. I'm sorry that they had to burn down the entire university. Of students and faculty have since been 
allowed back in the building. Those working in the basement of the library have been advised to wear long sleeve shirts, hats, gloves, and shoes that enclose the entire foot as a safety precaution. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Burn it down. No. Burn the whole thing Burn down. Burn it down. The entire universe. Okay, so first of all, how do Mediterranean recluse spiders yeah, get so, involved in the library? Are they just like trying to bone up on their knowledge? Like how do they why do they choose a library? Like I don't get it. And where do they come from? They can't be just chilling in Michigan. Uh I am looking it up. Um There's only a single report of a human fatality linked to a bite from the species. I think recluse spiders, there's brown recluse that I've heard of that are more popular, I think, where I come from. And down here. I'm not even messing around with spiders, though. Like, those types, oh, hell no. I hate spiders. Brown, I had a, um, a roommate in college, an undergrad, that got bit by a brown recluse. And, like, it causes necrosis. Like, yeah. it eats your skin away. Yeah. And, like, her thigh, like, she had to go get it, like, dug out. It was disgusting. Like, her, oh, it's so gross. I don't, I don't fool with spiders. Yeah. And brown, rec, like, we always, I grew up, like, learning about black widows and brown recluses because they're in the woods. And, like, where I grew up is very, like, wooded area. Yeah. In Birmingham. And so, like, I always knew, knew about them. And, like, they're in, like, cabins. And, like, if you go to the woods. And, like, they're always in places that's, like, you don't just, like, reach your hand into, like, a corner of a oh, wooden, of, no. of, like, a something. No. Like, you just don't do that because there's probably a spider Unless there, right? Unless you have or something. Um, we have wolf yeah. spiders, yeah. which were equally as distressing. No. Like, no. no. And they would hide in, like, no. shoes and, like, gloves and, like. They jump. No. Right? <laughs> no. Aren't those the ones no. that jump? I don't know, but they're gross. I don't like them. I don't care for spiders at all. I don't care how big or small I they are. I think don't I've like seen them. one wolf spider. It's huge, and it. I, I'm pretty sure it no. jumps. No, thanks. Um, and then the second mm. thing is in California. Then they move down to California. You get away from the wolf spiders, and then you have black widows. Like, I remember and brown going widows. out in the back porch, and there were nests of them everywhere. Yeah. I'd never heard of a brown widow until I moved to Ooh, California. No. They're apparently less venomous than a black widow, but they also have recluses out in California, too. Ugh. And yeah. here, I, don't, I haven't really encountered much in the way of spiders yet, but I'm terrified what we're going to well, find here. Well, because it's, well, no, you've been there for, like, through the seasons. So I was going to say, because it's cold, so they're all, like... Tucked up. Hiding. But, but I have to tell you. I don't know. I don't know if that's I don't know if you're going to want to hear this or not, but there's this rock <gasps> wall in the other, in the kitchen. It's like a white rock wall. And I was cleaning it when we first moved in. And there were literally spider's nests tucked into every crevice of that freaking rock wall. But no, but no spiders. They were just white spider's nests. And spider I literally, webs. they weren't webs. They were nests. Like the little cookie yes. thing? Yes. <laughs> I literally took a vacuum cleaner and like a bleach bottle and I sprayed them and then I sucked everything up in the vacuum. I yes. scrubbed I, and That's my thing. Like, with a vacuum. I, that's my thing is like, I will just spray any kind of toxic cleaning solution on it. I know it's like not like a poison for like, a, like an insect or whatever, but whatever. Bleach is going to kill yeah. something. Like it's going to kill an insect. So I just like bleach the crap out of it. And I'm like, yep, done. So it's gross. Yep. <laughs> Anything to kill. I'm sorry. No, I do not. Like, I'm going to have the heebie-jeebies. I've out. managed like, to like deal with the mice. I've managed to deal with snakes. I've managed to deal with skunks. No. With possums. Uh, 
with ladybugs, with roaches, with... I don't mind. Ladybugs are good. With all sorts of bugs, but I... Because ladybugs eat the other gross bugs. I cannot deal with spiders. And the thing is, there are a ton of ladybugs here, like everywhere, like on our house. And you find ladybug corpses, like hundreds of them throughout the house. Ladybugs are good. I used to like ladybugs when I was a kid. Well, they're they're good creature because they eat the bad little bugs. But at the same time, yeah. what are they doing in our house? And why are there hundreds of them? It's weird. See, that means you have a lot of bad bugs in your house. Maybe. So now you have to burn down your house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry to tell uh, you. You have to burn down no. your house along with the entire University of Michigan. No, no. I'm just I'm kind of struggling with what's going to come out when the weather gets warmer. Because there were a lot of mouse traps in this house, a lot of old mouse traps when we moved in. And there was nothing in them, but there were a lot of mouse traps, which tells me that there were rodents in here at some point. See, that's why you need a pet. You need a pet of some sort. That's what I'm thinking. And the thing is now you can the Humane Society lets you rent non people kitties that. to keep in your basement to keep the rodent pests down. Um, the Humane Society in Auburn is like renting puppies for a day. Oh my God, no. Because they're overcrowded. No. So they're like rent them out for a day and that's how they like keep them from being like put down or yeah. something like that. That would be awesome. But or, I, would, like, I wouldn't be able to give it back. And then I would have a hundred. No, I can't go to the Humane Society. I would have a hundred puppies living in my house. <laughs> I know, I would too. But that's why you need a pet is because they would cause so much chaos that all the little rodents Well, away. so I'm thinking we just get a couple cats and like a pair of them so they can, a couple. They can keep each other company. You just need like one No, because then they won't oh. have anybody to keep a company. You got to get two so they can be I together. I cats are like pack animals. I don't want it to be lonely. Dogs are. I don't, are. I don't think lonely. cats are. It needs a friend. I don't know that cats get lonely. I think they're kind of just grouchy. <laughs> all cats. Grouchy all the time. <laughs> well, like, their cats are just, like, cats are always so funky. I never like, had I a grumpy you, cat. Me. I never had a grumpy cat. Oh. All my cats were sweet. Um, so I say we just get a cat or two and put them down in the basement. And, like, you get the you, you get the working don't kitties. walk it in a basement. You get the working kitties. Our basement is huge, and it's bright. Yeah, but you can't, but like you have to, they want to be around people. Yeah, but if it's a working kitty, they don't want to be around people. They have cats there that are non-people kitties. It's not the cat from Cinderella. No, these cats don't want to be around people. They just want to work. I don't understand that. The, check out the website. You can get kitties that like people and you can get kitties that just want to be around. They're, they're almost like feral kitty, feral kitties. They just want to do their job and eat the mice and chill. They don't want to be involved That's with the not people very fun. thing. Oh. Well, don't do that. You should get a They're pet. like barn cats and cats for stores and warehouses and stuff like that that can go keep your rodent population in check. Did you see, did you see the, um, <laughs> we'll get to our story, I swear, but did you see the, um, the, the pictures that they did like a, a, a fake armed robbery in, I think, Thailand to see if like the guard dog would like do anything and it was just like fully slept through the whole thing. They're, they're definitely. It was a husky and it was just like high, high quality like, guard dogs. <laughs> I want an animal so bad, but it's like at this point, like I don't know. I haven't I haven't I been able I to get over pets. Doopy's death, and so I can't imagine yeah. even if I even if it was a feral cat and it died, I think I would still freak out and be sad. Yeah, I don't. I don't want things to die. I don't want creatures to die around me. Yeah, but we give them good good lives while they're here. This took a really dark it turn. Did. It did. Because I'm literally the one that's on Instagram. I don't even know the dog and it dies and I cry. 
Do you follow that Hi This Is Tatum? Yes, I do. Account? Oh my God. Hilarious. Yeah. So I follow okay. like 95 dogs and two humans. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm more interested in cats and foxes and possums and, and I'm into like llamas and goats. Ew, they <laughs> All kinds of other stuff. Alpacas. Llamas spit. But alpacas don't. They're very sweet and loving. Llamas do. I just like them all. I, I want animals all day. But anyway, um, anyway, hey, how about if we, <laughs> how about if we tell the main story for the day? That's enough of that. Yeah. So let's okay. do it. So, like like Sarah said, we're doing a Women's History Month thing, like we did with Black History Month in February, and I, I wanted to do um, a lesser known woman. So I chose the story of Viola Liuzzo. Have you heard of her? No. Okay. So Viola was a white woman who was murdered for supporting the civil rights movement in the South. Okay. But that's kind of the umbrella of her story. But before we get into the story of her death, let's talk about her life. Okay. So Viola was born Viola Gregg in 1925 in California, Pennsylvania. So there's a city in Pennsylvania called California. And her father was a World War I veteran who had lost a hand in a mining accident wow. and her mother had a teaching certificate. So during the Great Depression, her father was unable to work and the family had to rely on what little income her mother could bring in from like sporadic short-term teaching jobs. And when Viola was six, the family picks up and moves to Chattanooga, where Viola was first exposed to the segregated school system. Okay. Okay. And in 1941, kind of at the beginning of World War I, the family moves to Ypsilanti, Michigan, where her father got a job with the Ford Motor Company. And Viola ends up at the age of 16 dropping out of high school, and she elopes. But that marriage didn't last, and she ends up returning home shortly after. Okay? So two years later, when Viola's 18, the family moves to Detroit, which, if you know anything about Detroit, had its own history of racial tension during this time. Mm -hmm. And so in 1943... Viola gets married to a man named George, and she has two children. But again, this marriage doesn't last either, and they end up divorcing in 1949. And she later marries a Teamster business agent named Anthony Liuzzo and had three children from this marriage. So she's a mother of five children. Okay. And it's during this time that she decides she wants to go back to school. So she enrolls in the Carnegie Institute, and she graduates, and then she starts taking part-time classes at Wayne State University, which is a a university located in in Detroit. She also becomes active in the civil rights movement, and she joins the NAACP in 1964. Okay. And she also joins, starts attending the first Unitarian Universalist Church of Detroit. So have you heard of Unitarianism or Universalism? What is that about? So... I had to look it up because I've heard of it, but I didn't really know exactly what it was. So I looked it up. Now, Unitarianism is the belief that rather than like the Holy Trinity, like the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is taught in most traditional Christian denominations, mm-hmm. Unitarianism believes there's just one deist entity. So it's just the just one God, not like a three entity deity. And Universalism posits that salvation is universal and that there is no hell. So it is a Christian denomination, but it's considerably more liberal and accepting than the ones like you and I are most familiar with, right? So anyway, as part of Viola's membership in her church and the NAACP, she becomes very active in the civil rights movement. And she also brings with her this knowledge of 
growing up in Chattanooga and, and, and also, you know, becoming an adult in Detroit and seeing the racial tension and the segregation. And she wants to do more. And as we've mentioned earlier, like there is a lot of interplay and church and, and politics in many ways go hand in hand during this time period as sort of Absolutely. supporting the civil rights. The churches supported the civil rights movement and helped the people unify for civil rights purposes. Absolutely. And she is, she's helping to organize protests and she's attending protests in the Detroit area, but she wants to do more. She wants to branch out. She doesn't just want to stay confined to Detroit. So let's step away from Viola for a moment and let's talk about what's happening in Alabama at this time. Okay. So we have discussed some parts of the civil rights movement in last month's episodes. And then we also discussed um, on our Bombingham episode Um, you know, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, but there's a big part of the civil rights movement in Alabama that we haven't discussed, and that is what's happening in Selma. So have you heard of the city of Selma? From this, probably this story. So Selma is in the south, kind of south central part of Alabama. It's about an hour directly west of the capital, Montgomery. And it's a little over an hour and a half south of Birmingham, where I grew up. I've been to Selma like maybe twice and I feel like it took longer to get there than an hour and a half but Apple Maps told me it was an hour and a half so that's what what, what is it but like there it now? feels like it's is it like a big city like a small city what what's no it like? it's a it's a small city um it's I mean it's a city but it's like I honestly I don't really know it's probably been 20 years since I've even been there so I can't really like describe it but it is a smaller type city it's not Birmingham it's not Montgomery it's not Huntsville okay. or Mobile it's like a smaller kind of town city but it's got you know what i mean that makes sense but it's not super rural Um, it's not like i wouldn't call it very rural but it's also not it's pretty poor it's it's not like atlanta no god no it's more like it's like a quarter of birmingham like it's not like it's yeah no 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 nowhere near atlanta um so in february 1965 an African-American veteran named Jimmy Lee Jackson was participating in a peaceful protest organized by the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which is something that you, Sarah, talked about in the Emmett Till Correct. episode. Actually, no, and, we talked about is, that in the Mississippi Burning in Mississippi episode. Burning. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so he is participating in this protest or, organized by the SCLC in Marion, which is a city which is just like right outside of Selma. And keep in mind and as her- well, like the Southern Leadership Christian conference and that a lot of these organizations, they are peaceful. They do not advocate Absolutely. violence in any way, shape or form. And they were dedicated to the peaceful protests and the civil rights movement. So. Absolutely. This is all part of Martin Luther King's nonviolent protest um, movement. So, so the purpose of this protest that, that, that Jimmy Lee Jackson is participating in the Merriam is to protest the arrest and confinement of another young civil rights worker named James Orange. So the plan for this protest is they're going to meet at the church. They're going to march to the jail where he's being confined. They're going to sing hymns and they're going to return to the church, which, like you said, is a local gathering point for a lot of these organizations. Right. Mm -hmm. And as the protesters marched, they were met at the post office by a line of local police, county sheriff's deputies and Alabama state troopers. Just tons of law enforcement. There couldn't have been that many people at the march in the first place. And they're just met by a wall of law mm-hmm. enforcement. The streetlights were either turned off or shot out by law enforcement. Don't really know exactly what happened there. 
and then the police descended upon the protesters, beating and clubbing them with nightsticks. So while Jimmy Lee Jackson is trying to protect his 82-year-old mother from the beatings, he gets shot twice in the abdomen. Okay. He's taken to a hospital, and he will die eight days later from his wounds. So in response to the Jimmy Lee Jackson death, okay, the SCLC is scheduling a protest march in Selma for Sunday, March the 7th, 1965. And in this march, they are going to march from Selma to Montgomery to petition Governor George Wallace, who is a staunch segregationist, to put it mildly. They're going to petition him to investigate the role of law enforcement in Jimmy Lee Jackson's death. Okay. And they're also going to ask for his public support for getting black um, citizens to vote in I'm Alabama. Go ahead and go out so, on I mean, a limb like, and say he's not going to support it. <laughs> pipe dream. Right. So Wallace, he bans this march, but the order to, you know, not gather is ignored. Okay. So on that Sunday, March 7th, more than 600 marchers gathered. They started on U.S. Highway 80 in Selma. And as they approach the bridge that goes over the Alabama River in Selma, which is called the Edmund Pettus Bridge, I'm sure you've seen pictures of this bridge, they encounter, again, a wall of state troopers and white civilians waiting on the other side. So local law enforcement had put, yes, local law enforcement had put out this notice that any young white men could be deputized on this Sunday. So basically the law enforcement put out a call for violence for this march. So they're me- the okay. peaceful pe- peaceful protest is being met with extreme violence. Yes. So the marchers are brutally attacked, and they're beaten with nightsticks. Tear gas is fired into the crowd, and there's troopers on horsebacks that are charging into the group. And the injuries sustained by the marchers are incredibly severe. So this is where Congressman John Lewis, who just recently passed away, this is where he was beaten so badly, so severely, that he ended up with a skull fracture. It was from this march on March Uh, on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. So this day, March 7th, became known as Bloody Sunday, and each year, which just happened four days ago, we're recording on the 11th, activists gather each year to cross Edmund Pettus Bridge to memorialize this event, okay? Mm -hmm. So this first march meets with incredible violence, right? So then in a national broadcast on March 15th, President Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson, called Selma, quote, a turning point in man's unending search for freedom. And two days later, he introduced the voting rights bill to Congress. Okay. So what does this have to do with Viola Liuzzo? So the images from Bloody Sunday are broadcast across the world and across the country. And Viola, like so many, was appalled. And on March 16th, Viola attended a, a, a gathering at Wayne State. And she decides that she wants to travel to Montgomery and help volunteer for the next march. So the SCLC is continually planning marches. They plan the second march. All the, the second march did was they walked to the bridge and then they turned around. That was the purpose of that march. The third march, they're going to actually walk all the way to Montgomery because the third march has been approved by a federal judge so that they have the right to march. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Viola says, I'm going, I'm helping. She contacts the SCLC. And they say, great, you can deliver aid to the various locations. You can recruit people to help us march. And when people come in from out of town, you can pick them up at the bus station. You can take them to the church where we're gathering. And then you could shuttle people back and forth between Selma and Montgomery. Okay. Okay. So 
Like I said, by now, the federal government is involved and President Johnson mobilized the Alabama National Guard to protect the marchers on their route. All right. So on March 21st, more than 3,000 people gathered for what would be the third Selma to Montgomery March. And the way the march worked was you you didn't, like not everybody marched and then like stopped, you know, you didn't go a certain distance and stop and then everybody camped. They didn't have 3,000 people camping on the road between Selma and Montgomery. People walked a certain distance, maybe 300 would camp out. And then the rest would go back to Selma and then meet them in the next morning and then continue the march and they would kind of stagger it like that. So this march takes place over five days. And they finally reach Montgomery and Viola marches the first day, then she drives back to Selma and then she's part, she's part of the shuttle system. So she's shuttling marchers back and forth in her car between Selma and wherever they're going to start their next march from the, from the next day. On the last night, Viola rejoins the march four miles before the end point in Montgomery, and they are holding a freedom concert, okay? And this concert is like a big deal, like big names are at this concert. So Harry Belafonte is there, Sammy Davis Jr., Joan Baez are there. Like this is the big national people are involved in this concert. So the following day, the march officially reaches the state capitol where Martin Luther King Jr. addressed the crowd of more than 25,000 people gathered at the capitol. All right. It should also be noted that the Confederate flag flew above the Alabama state capitol until 2015. Whoa. So Martin Luther King Jr. is addressing 25,000 people about the death of Jimmy Lee Jackson, about voting rights, about this nonviolent protest, about Bloody Sunday, and above him is a Confederate flag flying on the state capitol. Okay, that's the image that is going on. Mm-hmm. So after the march concluded on March 25th, Viola and an African-American volunteer named Leroy Moton were shuttling marchers from Selma to Montgomery in her car. And as they're driving along Highway 80, a car tried to force them off the road. So they are able to outrun this car and they successfully make it to Montgomery to drop off their passengers. And then they head back to Selma to pick up the next group, right? So while the car is stopped at a red light, a car of four members of the Ku Klux Klan pull up beside her, beside them. They look over, they see a white woman in the car with a black man. And of course, this can't be, right? It says this is just the, ter- the, the most terrible thing. So these four men start tailgating Viola and they try and run her off the road. And it's not known if this is the same car that tried to run her off the road earlier. I lean toward no, because it's not like this was an uncommon occurrence, right? So this is probably just another car that tried a racist that tried to run her off the road. So the car overtakes Viola, and somebody in the car of the four Klansmen shoots twice, and they hit her twice in the head. And Viola's car veered into a ditch and crashes into a fence. Leroy, the passenger, was not hit at all, but he's covered in blood, and he pretends to be dead when the four Klansmen get out of their car and they come look upon the wreckage, right? After the men leave, he is able to flag down a truck that's driven by Reverend Leon Riley, who, thank God, was also another volunteer driving activist between Selma and Montgomery, okay? So, within 24 hours, these four men are arrested. Their names are... Collie Wilkins, William Eaton, 
Eugene Thomas, and Gary Rowe. Now, the name Gary Rowe might sound familiar to you if you are recalling our bombing him episode because he is one of the FBI informants used in the case against Robert Chambliss during his prosecution for the bombing. So he's a Klan member who is working as, as an FBI informant. Okay? And he is one of the four men that is arrested. And in an attempt to distract from the fact that an FBI informant was involved in the murder of Viola Liuzzo, the federal government begins a propaganda campaign to explain Viola's death. So within 24 hours of her murder, J. Edgar Hoover is calling her a communist. They're saying that the cut marks on her arms, which are clearly from the shattered windshield from her accident, they're saying the cut marks on her arms are evidence of intravenous drug use and the fact that she was in such close proximity to a black man was indicative of, quote, unquote, a necking party. What? Yeah. So I hate that I even have to say this because it's so disgusting that the FBI said this, but autopsy results showed that Viola had no previous history of drug use and there was no indication that she'd recently had sex before she was killed. Okay? So just, it's, it's all obviously false, but it was also proved medically false. Okay? So Wilkins, Eaton, and Thomas were indicted by the state of Alabama for Liuzzo's death on April 22nd. Gary Rowe had immunity because he's an FBI informant. Okay? So he testifies that the men noticed Viola and Leroy at a traffic light and that they chased them down the highway. And Wilkins handed Thomas a gun saying that we can't force them off the road because paint marks on the car will lead to us and we can go to jail. So we have to shoot them instead, basically. What? So... Roe claims that Wilkins is in charge of this whole thing. He's telling Thomas to shoot. He's telling Roe to shoot. Roe claims that he sticks his gun out the window, but he only pretended to fire, and that Thomas is the one that actually shot the two shots that hit Viola. Leroy Moten also testifies at uh, the Wilkins trial, and on cross-examination, Wilkins' defense attorney, who was a Klan lawyer, accused him of shooting Viola during an attempt to rob her. Which doesn't, why would you shoot somebody that's driving a car? That makes no sense. Yeah, but they were able, I mean, obviously, like, the prosecutors were able to tie the ballistics to a gun that was found in Thomas's house. So, like, it was so obviously not true. But the jury deadlocked with 10 members voting for conviction. The two holdouts were members of the White Citizens Council, okay? Which is, like, another, they're not as, they're like a secret clan. They, they, they didn't, like, do the whole get up like the clan, but they are very actively a white supremacist violent group. And at his retrial, Wilkins is acquitted after less than two hours of deliberation. This jury consisted of 10 current or former white citizens council members. And the reason that this was the case is because at the time the prosecutor could only strike six jurors and racism was not one of the reasons he could strike a jury a, a juror <laughs> so there were more than 10 that were prospective jurors that were clearly members of the clan of the white citizens council and he couldn't use that to strike more than six of them wow. okay so what happens next so then the federal government gets involved and 
the three of them are charged with conspiracy to intimidate African-Americans, which is really interesting because that is part of the 1871 Ku Klux Klan Act, which was passed during Reconstruction. So this is a law from 1871 that the federal government had to reach way back into the history books to find a charge for them because this was before we had federal charges of violating somebody's civil rights. Right. Right. So on December 3rd, the three are found guilty and they're sentenced to 10 years in prison. And while they are out on appeal, Wilkins and Thomas are convicted of firearms violations. And on January 15th, 1966, the Birmingham News published an ad offering Viola's bullet-ridden car for sale. What? Yeah. The ad read, Do you need a crowd-getter? I have a 1963 Oldsmobile two-door in which Mrs. Viola Liuzzo was killed. Bullet holes and everything intact. Ideal to bring in crowds. What the hell? So somebody got her car from the accident site and then decided they were going to make a sideshow out of it. It's disgusting. Because, yeah. So... While William Eaton is out on appeal, he actually dies of a heart attack. Bye. So he never spends a day in prison. And during Eugene Thomas's trial, there's two witnesses that, during Eugene Thomas's state trial for the murder, there's two witnesses that testified that they had seen him drinking a beer at a VFW near Birmingham an hour or less after Liuzzo was shot. So basically, he couldn't have been the one shooting her in Selma because he was near Birmingham drinking and he couldn't have made that distance. Is that true? Okay. Do you think he could have? He, he could not have made the distance, no. It would have been impossible for him to drive that distance that, short, that shortly. But then Is again, true? Yeah. I'm I sure there are more than enough people who would be willing to lie. Yes. He's acquitted after 90 minutes of deliberation. Based on this testimony. So clearly they already had their minds made up before the trial. Absolutely. And Wilkins and Thomas, they served their federal sentences. I couldn't find out how long Wilkins served, but Thomas only served six years. And in 1978, after they both served their sentences, they both appear in front of a grand jury because, hey, the federal government decides they're going to investigate Gary Rowe because it seems like he shares around a lot when black people are getting murdered for an FBI informant. Mm -hmm. They both point the finger at Gary Rowe. Say, they say he is the one who pulled the trigger. And the state of Alabama actually indicts Gary Rowe for first-degree mur murder of Viola Liuzzo. But because he was an FBI informant, after he testified in all of these civil rights trials, specifically the Viola Liuzzo murder trial, he is entered into the witness protection program. So he gets a new identity. And he gets a job with the U.S. Marshals in Savannah, Georgia. Ooh. Yeah. He gets a new name, a new identity, job in Savannah with the U.S. Marshals, with the federal government. And then Alabama prosecutors attempted to extradite him back to Alabama to charge him with the first-degree murder of Viola Liuzzo, but they were unsuccessful. And he died in 1998 at the age of 64. So he was, like, in his 20s when this is happening, wow. 20s and 30s, when he's doing all of this. Incredible. And it wasn't until 1978 that Viola's family learned of the FBI's involvement in the cover-up of her murder. And that's only because they were able to get the documents released under a FOIA petition. 
And unbelievably, in 1983, a federal judge in Michigan rejected the Liuzzo family's lawsuit, saying that there's no evidence the FBI was in any type of joint venture with Roe or conspiracy against Mrs. Liuzzo, and that his presence in the car was the principal reason that the crime was solved so quickly. The judge awarded the FBI $79,873 in court costs. He ruled against, he said the family had to pay the FBI's court costs for That's this. so appalling. But, yes. These court costs were later reduced to less than $4,000 after the ACL appealed on behalf of the family. And none of this was public until Gary Rowe decides he wants to testify in front of the Senate Committee on Civil Rights and talk about how he was a willing participant in the murders of these black people. He admits it, Hmm. but he's still protected. He was never charged with a single crime. He is very likely the one that murdered Viola Liuzzo. He was definitely in the car. And he told the FBI before the Selma to to Montgomery march that he and his friends were going down to Selma and they were looking for violence. And that was the basis of the Liuzzo family's lawsuit, saying that the FBI knew that their informant was violent that he was looking for violence he was inciting violence and they didn't do anything about it and viola died as a result and the judge ruled against them i mean it's not surprising it's not it i mean it just fits into the pattern of what's been going on for decades Mm -hmm. it's sad but it's just it's so typical yep and that's the story of viola liuzzo she actually she does have her name at the civil rights memorial that it was just recently opened in Montgomery. And it's finally an honor for her. But just. How, how, how I old just, was like, she? I can't. Uh, she was born in 25 and she was murdered in 65. So she was 40. And she had, she was a mother of five children. And has there been any talk about her kids and what they've done after or. The, um, there was a little bit about her kids. She had, um, the, the one article I read only t- spoke to three of her children. I believe the three, the three of her children with Anthony Liuzzo, they're all successful adults. They all, um, are, they're all active activists. Um, they still talk about their mom, obviously from what they remember. Um, and they're willing to talk about her and, and tell her story. And, and obviously they look up to her and they thought she was an amazing mother and person. And she instilled all of those beliefs in, in them. But like, I think her oldest daughter, her oldest child was 10 when she was murdered. That's got to be a life altering experience on a whole nother level that I just can't mm-hmm. even imagine. I mean, she left Detroit and said... I have to go to Selma and I have to do this. I can't, I can't sit by and watch this happen on my TV and not do anything. And then you had people after she was murdered, because her murder was national news, and then you had people talking about how she brought it on herself because she shouldn't have gone down there. And she shouldn't have like black put herself people said into that this or situation. White people said that, or both? White people. I mean, if you're going to sit on the couch and, and direct people and not actually put feet to the ground for things mm-hmm. that you believe in, then you don't have any right mm-hmm. to make a statement like that. And she was just one of many Thousands. northerners and white. Thousands of people. Yeah, that, 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 that traveled from 
the North to come to Alabama because they heard Martin Luther King call for them and say, we need people to come. This is not just the fight for black people. This is not just the African-American fight. It's everybody's fight. And we need people to stand with it's us. It's basic And she was one of the ones that came rights. Down. Yeah. Yep. And she was murdered. I mean, I think that... And then slandered. If this was just one person who would have dealt with this sort of a situation, then maybe it would be possible to maybe explain it away or, like, say it was a limited... But this is one of thousands of people who Mm -hmm. suffered this kind of violence and just... Even after they died, they belittled and bad-mouthed and made Mm -hmm. up excuses to talk away and justify yeah i mean in in 1965 the worst thing you could be was a communist who consorted with black men i mean that was that's all the woman who wanted to have political power right (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's all j edgar hoover had to say and of course she's now the bad guy who is responsible for her own death and what the hell is a necking party was that a big thing back then like i don't even why would somebody even bring that up to say that she's immoral, to slut yeah, shamer. Yeah, but a necking party, like, that was a thing? That's what they used to call it. Like, that was like, yeah, like making out. Yeah, but a necking party? Like on a lover's lane. That's what they called it. I don't know. Ugh. I'm not that old. It's so stupid. It is very it's just stupid. just on a whole other level of stupidity. This is also J. Edgar Hoover. He's not exactly known for his, like, freedom of expression. <laughs> Quite repressed. But... <laughs> But anyway, but that is the story of Viola Liuzzo, and I wanted to talk about it because we have been talking about the civil rights movement with our, with our stories that we did in February, but I wanted to talk about this one specifically for March because this is a woman, again, it's like Claudette Colvin, where a lot of people don't know the story. And I think it's something that I didn't, again, this is another Alabama story that I didn't know. I mean, I knew about Selma, I knew about Bloody Sunday, and I knew about the Edmund Pettus Bridge, but I did not know about... Viola Liuzzo, and it's a story that I think needs to be told. Yeah. Well, th- unfortunately, there's many things that we don't know about. So yep. I think it's really important for us to seek out these cases, these the history of these men and women, and tell their stories. Yeah. Even though it may be uncomfortable. Yeah. I just... The Gary Thomas Rowe thing, like, I, I I don't know how many murders he was involved in. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he got, he, he died in witness protection with a federal job. Yuck. And I think yeah. that we chose this case, too, because it, it dovetails for the first case that we're going to talk about in Women's History Month. It dovetails really nicely with last month's. Mm-hmm. Um, Black History Month cases, and it kind of allows for a little bit of a transition and still suggesting how important Black History Month is, even though it's mm-hmm. now officially over. And they they did just have the 56th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, and they gathered at Evan Pettus Bridge, and they marched, and um, and they post. I mean, they post pictures every year. A lot of people go every year. Um, I don't know if you saw any coverage from John Lewis's. Um, funeral, not procession, because he he didn't have his funeral in Selma, but they did a memorial that where they they did take his casket. It was draped with the American flag, and they took it across Evan Pettus Bridge uh, in a horse-drawn carriage, and it was really 
it was really moving. So um, it just makes me ball. <laughs> I, yeah. I seriously, I start crying and then I, I can't stop. Yeah. And it seems like the older I get, the more sensitive I get to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same way? I used to be able to just like grip my teeth and like, okay, um, it is what it is. Now it's like, it makes me emotional. I, it's, I don't feel the same way. I'm not more emotional because this is, this is the history I grew up learning. So it's always been very present for me. I'm sad that more people don't know it. And I'm sad that it feels like we're reliving it. I'm sad that that, people we, that we're not learning have from so it. little respect for human life that they feel like other human beings aren't worthy of life. Yeah. That to me is the saddest yeah. part of it all. Like what gives you the right to determine that you're godlike and you can determine that somebody else does not deserve to live? Mm-hmm. It's just, ugh, it's appalling. And if there's any, you know, reason to believe in an afterlife, it's for that, that they would have to suffer now and through eternity for their yeah. terrible, terrible belief system. I don't know if you're a universalist, you don't believe that. So C. Viola would have forgiven them. Well, I mean, I think there's a basic tenet in Christianity to forgive and forget. But at the same time, that doesn't make you forget about the fact that that person, there's a certain element of suffering that will happen in the afterlife for people that refuse to admit that they were wrong and ask for forgiveness. But, I mean... That's a, a Christian belief. Right. So. Right. So Interesting. Yeah. It's... Sad. Yep. Very sad. Yep. I mean, I hate to end it on such a grim note, but is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap the episode up for the night? Um, I, the, the only thing I would say is that we, I really just did the tip of the iceberg of everything that happened in Selma. Um, I would encourage you all to go and learn about it for yourselves. There's a lot. Selma is a very historic place. There's a lot of things that happen there. It has its own rich history. Um, And we, I mean, we literally just talked about the tip of it. So, so I would encourage you all to go and and read about it all for yourselves because it's, yeah. Well, when we have an hour long podcast too, it's kind of hard to get in and dive into every single minute detail. Right about these cases because there is so much and there fortunately for us there's a lot of resources out there and firsthand accounts because this is mm-hmm. recent enough that where there are still people alive with firsthand accounts which is pretty yeah. miraculous and amazing that we have the ability to look this up and f- read these stories from somebody who was actually there saw it heard it felt it mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty incredible and I encourage people to take advantage of that and to read the, read those stories and learn that history. Yeah. Cause it's pretty amazing. And there's some pretty amazing people that were there and that provided support and understanding and love and who really just, despite the rage and hate and anger and brutality around them just exuded love and forgiveness and, Mm -hmm. and just survival. 
through, through all and that. didn't get the recognition they deserved at the time. So we're trying to do our part. Because you just you really get the sense that women like that women mm-hmm. like Viola would have forgiven, would have yeah, wished absolutely. peace on people, and would have done everything she could to not fight that hatred and violence with like that she would have been an amazing person and stood up for yep. what was right and not returned hate with hate, mm-hmm. which is the most miraculous part of all of it. Oh. It's kind of like a, it's like a deeper, it's like, it, it's like turning the knife wound, you know, when you hear about this awful thing that happened to her, what they did to her. And then you think about the fact that she would have forgiven them. It's incredible. You know, it's absolutely incredible. Yep. Um, we are going to go ahead and wrap the episode up for the evening. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, I would encourage you to shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We are going to drop all the show notes from the today into the episode notes as well, as well as our email address. Um, if you have anything you want to say, good, bad, or indifferent, please shoot us an email. We would be more than happy to read it and to address it on the show if it's, you know, something that we can use, we'd be more than happy for that constructive criticism as well. Uh, Darcy, social media? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So we'll post pictures and, and notes and everything there as well. Yeah. And please join us again next week when we talk about more wacky, wild, and extreme cases. And then we talk about ones that are very real rich important parts of our history as well that is our our goal for this year is to really delve into not just the wacky wild and strange cases but ones that actually are very very meaningful to large Mm -hmm. groups of people so that we can make an impact with our voices please join us again next week good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your very best life bye bye guys bye guys